The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4 tonight, and I'm going to read our passage and pray for God to help us, and then we're going to look at who Jesus is together. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 31. This is talking about Jesus. And he, this is Jesus, went down from Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had drawn near, at, and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word for with what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits? And they come out. And reports about him went out into, the, into every place and in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately he rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any, <clears throat> I'm sorry, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew who he was, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have, him, and would have kept him for, uh, from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of, synagogues of Judea. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for this word and your scriptures about Jesus. And God, we ask that you would teach us about his mercy and compassion to us tonight. Uh, we ask that you would help us as we celebrate his resurrection and his victory over Satan's sin and death, that we would enjoy his goodness to us tonight. Uh, give us your spirit and look to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever find yourself daydreaming about what other people's lives are like? Do you ever find yourself kind of wondering what it's like to be uh, in the shoes of another person? Um, maybe it's out of jealousy that you're thinking like, man, they seem to have it really good. Or maybe you're just kind of like interested in what type of person they are and the type of things they do. Uh, I don't know if you find yourself thinking about this a lot. I do. Uh, I've always thought that if I wasn't called to be a pastor that I would really enjoy being a watchmaker. Um, <laughs> I know it seems a bit odd, but I really like the mechanics of watches, and, you know, there's a definite product that happens. You start out with nothing, and you have something, a definite watch at the end of it. Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting to kind of think about, like, what's the day in the life of somebody, uh, somebody's life that you're not, you know, that's not your own? What's it like to be them? What's, the, what's their day-to-day -day look like? And it's in that day-to-day, -day, those questions about what is it, what's their day-to-day -day life look like? 
that you actually, if you were to put together all the small decisions of who they are and the decisions they make and what goes on, uh, that you begin to see the meaning and purpose of their life. What are they trying to accomplish? What are they hoping to be? What are they wanting to do in this world? Uh, it's those small moments that reveal the meaning of their life. Um, and to kind of illustrate this, I could pull from... Um, I could pull from a lot of examples that would seem appealing, like what's the day in the life of the president? I mean, that would that'd be really fun to look at. I, I looked at it today. Um, you could watch The West Wing. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, or what's the day in the life of Steve Jobs? You know, that's kind of interesting as well. Um, but I mean, those, guys, those aren't the, the lives that we live. I mean, we're, we are, you know, programmers. We're, you know, moms or dads. We are, you know, bankers or grocery shoppers or pastors, you know, we're lots of different things. We don't live in the presidential world. So what is, you know, what's our day-to-day -day life look like? Uh, I looked up the day-to-day -day life of a teacher that I thought was very interesting just to kind of, you know, what's the day-to-day -day life of this person and how it shares the, in the day-to-day -day moment, the moments that add up their day, how it adds up it's a compelling vision of what their life is about. So this teacher writes about, I think she's a high school teacher. She starts about just a normal Tuesday. Our school schedule is a rotating block schedule. That means that we have four-hour class periods a day, each meeting for nine, 90 minutes every day. On this day, my first period is a planned period. My goal is to grade a set of personal narrative essays. But before that, I need to contact parents of seniors who have been absent. With my first phone call, I actually reach a parent. Unfortunately, Jordan's mother tells me they kicked him out of the house and could care less uh, if he is in school or not. I called the attendance center to inform them of Jordan's status and see if they could find someone to locate him. My next phone call reaches the student herself. Veronica tells me she's been sick but hopes to be back before the end of the day. I make arrangements to, lean, to leave her assignments in the front office for her sister to pick up. Three, four, three more phone calls and I leave some messages. I type up six letters for more students who I've not been able to reach. These are seniors who've missed four or five days of class and are in danger of failing. That ultimately means they won't graduate in the spring. I have 10 minutes left, no grading today. I write the agenda for the first class. She goes on to talk about how, as you could imagine for a regular teacher, she has classes that she has to engage the students to get them engaged in the class. She has to manage their expectations, get them involved, set course material, teach material, have lunch, teach students during the lunch period, have the last day, have her end of day, and then stand out in the hallway to make sure that all the kids get home correctly. Then the bell rings and signals the end of the day. I stand in the hall for an entire 10 minutes on hall duty as students leave the building. Since I had to pick up my own two youngest children from school, I, stay, I can't stay and work like most, of my, uh, most teachers do. Instead, I pick up the stack of personal narratives that she was supposed to grade in the morning, takes them home, and she wakes up the next morning at, at 4.30 or 5 o'clock to, uh, to grade and hopefully have energy for the day ahead of her. I don't know if you think about what it's like to be somebody else, but when you begin to kind of get into the details of what somebody else's life is like, you begin to get into the details that are inconvenient, the details that reveal who they are, what they're trying to accomplish. The details of their life show us who they are. And in this passage, I know this might not seem like a normal Easter passage, this Luke chapter 4 with Jesus going and teaching and demons and healing, 
It might not seem like an Easter passage at first, but I think you see the shadow of Easter hanging over this entire passage because in this passage you see a day in the life of Jesus. You see what it's like to be Jesus. You see what goes on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Luke gives us this passage to kind of give us a sense of what would it be to do an hour-by-hour calendar, an hour-by-hour snapshot of Jesus' life from beginning to end. And so as we look at Jesus' day-to-day tonight, what we're going to see, I think, the, out of his life, out of this day-to-day, we're going to see this invitation from Jesus. We're going to see this invitation from Jesus because of his mercy. We're going to see this invitation for Jesus uh, to ask him for mercy because of his powerful compassion. We're going to see this invitation for mercy because of his powerful compassion. And as we begin to look at this passage, we're going to see compassion the compassion of Jesus just dripping all over it. From beginning to end, we're going to see Jesus' compassion for this man that's possessed by demons. We're going to see his compassion for uh, Peter's mother-in-law who's sick. We're going to see his compassion upon the multitudes. And we're going to see his compassion uh, for the mission of, that God has given him. We're going to see compassion dripping out of this passage. It's not just for those people 2,000 years ago. We're going to see compassion that is personal for us today. It's going to be a personal compassion, an invitation to Jesus. And so as we look at this invitation for his compassion tonight, um, we're, going to see, we're just going to break this passage up into three parts. And in Jesus' day-to-day, we're invited to trust in this compassion of his. We're going to be invited to trust in his preserving compassion, his accessible compassion, and his uncompromising compassion. So... Uh, if you guys don't mind, I would love for you to join me in looking at Luke's four, Luke chapter 4. Again, not a typical Easter message, but I think we are going to move through Luke chapter 4 to see Easter off in the distance behind this passage. So tra- starting in verse 31, let's look at trusting in his preserving compassion. Starting in verse 31, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come down to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having, gone, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? And with what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits? And they come out. And the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So we have here uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's, if you know the life of Jesus, you know that he has gone through the temptation in the desert. He's just come out of the temptation in the desert. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he's just been in Nazareth his hometown, that kicks him out of town. You know, so this is the very beginning of everything for Jesus' ministry. And so when Luke tells us that he stands up and speaks with authority, Luke is drawing a very, dis- a very distinct difference between the teachers of the day and who Jesus was. You know, the, the teachers of the day would have... Uh, Wikipedia pages to their messages would have been very long because of all the footnote recommendations at the bottom. They would have had a lot of, 
you know, so-and-so said this, therefore I'm telling you this. They would have virtually just kind of gone up and, you know, whoever your favorite preacher is, just like read their sermon off the, you know, off the website. They would have had that type of preaching that was very kind of, you know, this is what so-and-so says. But Jesus gets up and he speaks with authority because he's been anointed by the Spirit, but because of who Jesus is, he gets up and speaks with authority. No, this is what God's Word says. And he's pointing over and over again in his ministry and his teaching to the gracious, glorious reality of who God is. And he would have been pointing to the, from, from the Old Testament and teaching about who God was with authority in a way that was clearly distinct. But uh, in the middle of this sermon, you see Jesus is talking, he's getting up and speaking, and he has authority. Right here in the middle of his sermon, as though it were to happen like right now, somebody gets up and interrupts him. Kind of like in the middle of a comedy show, you'll have hecklers who are interrupting the act. You know, in the middle of Jesus' teaching, somebody gets up and starts heckling him in the middle of what he's teaching about the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And so this is kind of the, this is where the, the story begins to slow down. So you have Jesus teaching about the glory of God and the, and the demonic man, the man who has a demon. Um, we're not exactly sure what that meant, but it clearly was a, a spiritual dynamic of demonic activity coming after Jesus. And he starts, he, he speaks out of a sense of being threatened. So the, the demon is threatened, and he's wondering, you know, he's asked Jesus, have you come to destroy us? You know, so here's Jesus speaking out of the glory of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And the demon, demonic activity against him is this powerful lie of, are you here to destroy us? And it, it, it's kind of the sense of the demon is clearly the one speaking, but he's possessing, possessing this man. And it's this lie of, are you, have you come here to destroy this man, this this guy that I'm possessing, have you come to destroy us with, your, with the righteous wrath of God? And so Jesus, in his unique authority, he re- all he does is Jesus says, he rebukes him. Get out of here. Out of this man. And the, the demon, I know this seems very simple, it's a very simple reading of the text, but the demon leaves, throws the man down on the ground, man's unhurt, and then everybody kind of freaks out, Right? Like, here's this man who's been going nuts for a long time. Everybody probably knew this guy. Everybody probably knew who he was in town. Everybody probably knew his reputation and kind of gave him like a 20-foot or more, you know, birth of distance. But this man is suddenly healed, and everybody goes nuts. Their Twitter, their Twitter feed goes nuts. They start sharing on Facebook. They're Snapchatting it. They're, they're getting the word out. Jesus has healed this guy. He's just, by the power of his word, Jesus has healed and he is, you know, they're totally amazed at the power. You see that verse 30, 36, with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits. So Jesus has exhibited his power and authority in a unique way that nobody's ever seen before. But you know what's interesting? What's going on in all of this, you have the demon coming out against Jesus because he feels threatened. And Jesus addresses the demon. And you have the crowds kind of going nuts because of who Jesus is and what he's done. But right here, if you notice in verse 35, that's not, Jesus' attention is not on the, really on the demon or on the crowds. So Jesus addresses the demon. Jesus rebuked him in verse 35. Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him 
having done him no harm. And you see Jesus in this whole paragraph, Jesus is the only one to notice the man. Jesus is the only one to care about the man. Jesus is the only one who addresses the man's preservation. Jesus uh, is not inconvenienced by this man's need. Jesus is not frustrated by this interruption that comes to him in the middle of this sermon. Jesus is not uh, annoyed by this man. Uh, Jesus focuses on this man. He sees the man. He draws attention to the man. And the demon throws him down, uh, but there's no harm to him. Like, there's no, the demon throws him down. I mean, could you imagine how scary that would be to see, like, demonic possession throw somebody on the ground? But that nothing happens to him. Like, nothing happens to the guy. Jesus preserves his life, preserves his health, preserves him from the demonic activity, preserves him amidst this violence that's been done to him. Jesus loves this man, and that's just, this, is, this is the compassion of Jesus that we are being invited into because Jesus is not inconvenienced by his need. And that's often not the way we respond to inconvenience, do we? I mean, you know, we just talked about this teacher's normal day. You know, how many times have we all sat down with, thank God I have an hour to do this task, and we have our to-do list, and then somebody calls us? You know, <laughs> or we get that email that turns into an hour of work or five hours of work, or... You know, we get inconvenienced so quickly, and we are not like Jesus here to be immediately att- drawn attention to the man and his need. You know, in our, our life right now, as many of you know, we're expecting another baby, and the reality is that the, the pace of life has changed. We, you know, there are things that Michelle needs that I, you know, I have to respond, and I frankly just get annoyed with her, the needs that happen around the house, and we have to work through that and repent of those uh, dynamics, but it's her needs and, you know, the clothes needing to be washed and the dishes being done and the house being cleaned, all those dynamics that come about, uh, those could very easily be inconveniences or annoyances. Or, I don't know if you would admit to this or not, but how many get annoyed when they're driving and somebody in front of them is a little bit slower than what they would like to be? You know, they're not driving as quickly as they would like to. (laughs) You know, or, you know, so you have the more light ones, but then one of the more difficult ones. You know, you have, how many have gotten annoyed or standoffish or distance towards their friends struggling with depression because depression is a hard black dog to beat. Depression doesn't go away easily. And that's not something that, that we, we all in our life plan, we don't really think, you know what, I'm going to spend 10 years with this friend walking through their depression with them. Uh, that's, that's largely, we see those as inconveniences, or the spouse that's sick, or the, uh, the slow growth of our friends, or the boss that is just continually just kind of thick-headed, it seems. But you see, here in this passage, Jesus sees the man because he loves him, because Jesus doesn't see him as an obstacle. Jesus does not see him as a project. Jesus doesn't Uh, Jesus does not see people as like sin projects to kind of like get fixed and then move on. Jesus doesn't see these inconveniences as obstacles. Jesus forgoes his his sermon for the person. In the middle of all this, Jesus preserves this man. He diverts attention from this teaching ministry to care for this man, to love him, to preserve him. His compassion is... His, his compassion preserves his life. He saves him from the violence that he's experienced, from the demon, the possession. 
This man is unhurt because of Jesus' compassion. He preserves him. So we see here this picture of Jesus preserving compassion. And the invitation for us is to see that Jesus sees our struggles. Jesus sees our needs. Jesus doesn't see us as obstacles. Jesus does not see us as redemption projects to kind of like get checked off on this heavenly to-do list. Jesus sees us as people that he loves and cares for. He sees you as somebody that he specifically loves and cares, that he intentionally loves. He longs to help you. He sees your deep needs. He sees those things in your life that seem to not go away, that would seem like to you obstacles, that would seem like to you things that are the annoyances, the things about you that you wish you could change, those things about your life that if you could be somebody else, you would definitely not have those things in your life. He sees all those things, and he loves you even with those things. He loves you, and he sees those needs. He sees those weaknesses, and he has compassion on them. You see, this is a Jesus whose, whose hands love to get, get around you and just uphold you and care for you, to keep you from the harm that you would do yourself. You see, Jesus would, would love to care for you, to hold you, to be near you, to have, his, have you wrapped in his compassion. He sees the deep pains, and he sees those things in your life that you would never even if you were in the best counseling session possible, he sees those things in your life that you would never want to confess to. He loves you in them. He has compassion on you. He loves you and eagerly desires to care for you. And you're invited to, tr- to trust this compassion because you see there's authority. There's power in this compassion. This compassion that he has, he says the word and it happens. He says the word and there's healing. He says the word, and it happens exactly as he says. But he still sees the weaknesses. He would love to care for you. He loves to reach down and care for, and hold you and show you his compassion. This is the compassion that we are invited to, care, to love and to trust and to lean on. This is the compassion that we are invited to. You know, and I don't know if you're convicted or you feel this sense of, I'm not like Jesus because I do see that I, I view people as projects more often than not. I do see people as obstacles. When I'm driving, they're going a little bit too slow for me. Uh, this Jesus has compassion not only for you, but he can shape you to be a person that has compassion on those around you. He can, be, he can shape you to be a person that does not see people as projects or obstacles, but sees them as people to be loved and cared for, to be cared for with the love of Jesus. So you see, we're starting to get a picture of this compassion of who Jesus is in this day in the life. This is the day in the life of who Jesus is like. So we see this probably happening in the morning, you know, kind of like a normal, you know, we obviously have church on Sunday, Saturday nights, but if you think like church on Sunday morning, kind of church on a Saturday morning for them, this day in the life of Jesus, it's, it's going to have more to it. So what else is actually going on in Jesus' life? So we, we've had, you know, for Jesus, a normal morning is teaching and then demonic opposition and victory. Um, I don't know what your mornings are like, but Jesus seems to have a unique morning and day schedule. So what else is going to happen in Jesus' day? So second thing we're going to see that we are invited in this passage to trust in his accessible compassion. So that's, we're going to look at verse 38, picking up right where we left off. So everybody's been 
sending out tweets and Facebook posts and telling everybody around. And then verse 38, and Jesus, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, that's Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So you see, uh, here's what's going on. They've had their Saturday morning worship and teaching. The the power of God is seen in Jesus, not only his teaching, but his uh, demonic exorcism. They go home for, like the rest of us, chow down, Saturday afternoon lunch. And in the middle of going to the lunch, the disciples are putting two and two together and saying, you know what, Uh, Peter's mom has a fever that is really bad. Uh, Jesus has just shown his power and authority over this demon. I wonder if Jesus can heal her. You know, it's not like that hard of a decision to make. And so they appeal to Jesus. They said, Jesus, look, like, here's what's going on. And their culture would have been very embarrassing for them not to have totally been able to host Jesus and welcome him into their home. Uh, Kind of like us today, you know, how many of us have had the embarrassing phone call of having to say, listen, I'm sorry, I have to cancel our plans because, you know, my kids are throwing up or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't want to invite you into my house with all this sickness. So go over to their house. There's Peter's mom, sick. And they just, in putting their infinite wisdom together, Jesus can exercise demons. How about this fever? Seems like a little bit easier to deal with. So Jesus, uh, Jesus responds. And what I find very interesting about this, this moment here, so you, you have Jesus coming in the house, Peter and the disciples saying, Jesus, can you heal her? There is something about the way Jesus carries his authority that he is easily accessible, that, he's, that, that people are easily drawn into asking him for things. There's something about his authority that, that draws people into him. I mean, because we do weird things with authority. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever been in a position of authority, but people do weird things. You know, it's like, you know, just imagine, like, we don't have any police officers in here, do we? Well, at least not that are not undercover, you know, so. <laughs> but, you know, like with police officers, like, you just kind of feel like, just feel a little bit more, like, guarded, you know? Like, I'm grateful that they're doing their thing with the law and here to help us, but you feel a little bit more guarded. Or, you know, I don't know how your relationship with your parents, but especially when you're little, you're much more kind of like, yes, mom, yes, dad. Uh, Or with the principal at school, uh, you know, or with your boss. Like, we just kind of like, we have like this hesitant, kind of guarded, um, you're in charge, now, this is clearly like our culture, but I think there's a kind of a universal sense of like somebody who's in charge who has clear authority, uh, I'm not going to mess with them. Uh, so Jesus clearly carries his authority in a way that people can say, Jesus, listen, here's the thing. We've got this need, and it's really trivial, but you clearly seem to be in charge. They, they have, Jesus has this ability to draw people into his authority. He's accessible. He's entreatable. His, uh, his authority has this inviting quality to it that, that draws people into who he is. And so when Jesus comes over to heal her, so they come and they say, Jesus, can you heal her? 
Jesus, oh yeah, I'd love to. Let me, I'd love to enter into this. And you can see how Jesus is just so easy and eager to care for people that there's no hesitation, but he comes up and you see how it says that he stood over her. He, stu- he, he got real, like, this is her bed. He, he stands right over her, gets real close, right next to her to be able to care for her, to heal her. And he calls out the fever by, na- by you know, personally. I don't know if he calls it by name, but uh, Jesus, um, he addresses the fever personally, which I don't know if it was necessarily a demonic possession. Jesus saw sin and brokenness and demonic opposition at the root of it in some way. But Jesus takes it personally, that, that what's going on with her fever is, this is broken. Like, this is the brokenness of the world being experienced by this woman, and he is eager to care for her, to eager to enter in, and he addresses the fever personally. And, uh, and what we see is that Jesus, Jesus takes his authority very personally when it comes to our lives. Jesus, with his authority over your life, takes your needs personally. Like, he doesn't just kind of, like, at a distance. Jesus could have managed this, like, oh, fever healed? Yeah, sure, you know, next thing. He could have managed this from a distance, but Jesus got in personal to her. He got in real close. Just the same way that Jesus, his authority is accessible, his compassion is accessible, his compassion drew him in to be close to her, to love her, to care for her. His compassion is present for you. His compassion is near for you. He's accessible. It's just, you ask for it right now. His compassion for you is accessible right now. For the areas that you are beginning to feel like, yeah, you know, those areas of brokenness that just don't seem to go away, or they might seem kind of trivial, Jesus cares for them right now. Jesus would love to bring compassion in your life right now with what you're struggling with. And so we see this, actually, we're just going on just a few more verses. Verse 40, And when the sun was setting, all those who were sick, basically everybody who was sick in the area with various diseases, they were all brought to him, and, he's, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So I wonder if you're beginning to kind of pick up the compassion language again here with me. He's, he laid his hand on every one of them and healed them. His compassion, so we're talking, Capernaum at the time was maybe a city of 100, uh, 1,500 people total. So I mean, not huge by, you know, of all places, Manchester, New Hampshire, where, you know, it's, we're big compared to that. But we're talking the whole area. So, you know, a few thousand people in the area, but the sick ones. So, you know, who knows the number of all those thousands of people in the region that had gotten all their Snapchat pictures and were now coming in to see Jesus. But Jesus goes by and he takes the time, he takes the intentional effort to go through and one by one touch everyone, heal them personally, to care for them, to love them. You know, this is Jesus whose authority can rebuke and send out demonic opposition with a single word. He goes through and still takes the time to love and care for each one of these individual people. You see, you're getting to see this picture of compassion that we see in Jesus that he, unlike the authority that we experience, that we are a bit hesitant to, his authority draws people in. He draws us in. He draws you in to love him, to care for you. His posture is open compassion. He, you know, the tell, tell me your needs. You know, like the, if you ever see a picture of a child with their dad, you know, just kind of like, you know, oh, I, 
I fell down because I was disobeying, you know, like my kids, you know, like, oh, please don't run around. Uh, and then he runs around and slams his head into the wall. It's like, well, I told you so. You know, it's kind of like, there's a part of me that's kind of like, you know, you got what you deserve. But Jesus, no, 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 come, come cry on my lap. Come and I'll care for you. Come, I, I want to know your needs. Come, I want, I want to bring my power and authority, my compassion to bear in your life. You know, it's, there's this, there's a story, I mean, many of you know uh, my, my deep regard and my deep affection for Harry Potter, and so I felt like, of all places, as we are uh, preaching on Easter, why not bring Harry Potter to bear on Easter? But there's this moment in the second book of Harry Potter where uh, there's this little character called uh, Dobby, and Dobby is a house elf, and Dobby, uh, basically, they're like the enslaved part of the wizarding world, you know, totally subjected, um, and they seem to love it. Uh, and so Dobby comes to warn Harry and Harry in the midst of their conversation. He, he just simply asks, oh, can I help you? Just this, this small question of, can I help you in any way? Can I just you know, show just a small sign of compassion to Dobby, who's this enslaved, oppressed uh, house elf? And Dobby has this great line that I think captures some of what Luke is showing us here. Dob Dobby says, and he speaks in a weird way, so... Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, but of your goodness, Dobby never knew. We have heard of Jesus' power and authority. We have heard of his goodness. But have you, we have heard of his power and authority, but of his goodness, of his goodness, have you heard of Jesus' goodness? Have you tasted of his goodness? Have you found free access to his goodness? Have you tasted his goodness to you in a specific way? Because we're all like Dobby. We, all, we are all in need we are all in need of God's kindness to us. We are all in need of God's goodness because we are all broken. We're all, we're all broken in the weird, distorted, perverted ways we all bring to the table. We all are just like Dobby. We, we've heard of this power and authority that, like the demons, would be threatened by Jesus. But he comes to us in such a way that he's accessible. His compassion is accessible. He's eager to be good to us. He's eager for us to trust in his goodness. So we are invited not only through, we're seeing through this passage, we're not only to invited to trust in his preserving compassion that would not harm us but would lift us up. We're also invited into his, to trust in his accessible compassion that would enter into all of our brokenness and neediness. And thirdly tonight we're going to see uh, that we are invited to trust in his uncompromising compassion. So you see up to this point, Jesus, this day in the life of Jesus, has been rather eventful. He has preached, cast out demons, healed a fever, and then healed the multitudes late into the night. So we're, we're talking, this is a 24-hour cycle for Jesus, fairly eventful. So to kind of close out the day, Verse 41, and demons also came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went out into a desolate place. Jesus trying to get a break from people. And the people sought him and came to him and would have, him, would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to other towns as well, for I have, sent, I have been sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So you see, unlike the people of Nazareth, his hometown, that rejected Jesus, 
the people of Capernaum, they want to keep Jesus. So there's a, there's a difference there, but with the, whole, with the demons saying, we know who you are, and Jesus rebuking them, there's a few different options of kind of how people think through that, but one of them is, you know, basically, they were trying to do like a, you know, we are going to say your name, and if we expose who you are, then that kind of gives us a one-up sort of thing. Like, you know, kind of like, uh, if you know who Batman is, you've got a bit of a one-up on Bruce Wayne. You know, so, you pull the bat, the, the cow off of Batman, they're trying to pull the, the cow off of Jesus. We know who you are, we're exposing who you are, so that's one idea. The other one is kind of like, hey, we're, we're showing who you are, and Jesus is rebuking them because he uh, doesn't want their marketing on his behalf. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't want demons saying that he's the Christ because the demons are not exactly his team. You know what I mean? So Jesus is either trying to say, not with them, or he's trying to say, uh, you don't have any power over me. Either way, what's going on here is that Jesus is basically, he's not allowing them, the demons, He's not allowing the people to define him or to define what his, ministry, what his mission is. At the heart of what Jesus is doing is he's trying to say, listen, I am not just here to be your one-man show, your one-trick pony of miracles, because that's pretty sweet, right? A guy who can uh, heal anybody and everything, a guy who can get rid of demons and presumably have power over creation, that's a pretty good guy to have around, right? That'd be pretty good. Uh, be good for business, it'd be good for our health, good retirement plan, you know? That's great to have around. Uh, Jesus is not going to be controlled by the spiritual realm and what they want him to be. Jesus is going to make sure that no matter what, his mission and what he is here to do is uncompromised. He is going to be committed to this deeper reality that he is, that he is there for because, yes, he is there, he is compassionate, and he is there to heal, Yes, he is there to show the power of God and to explain the scriptures and to show who God is. Yes, he is there to do those things. But Jesus is there. His mission, his day-to-day life is there for a deeper purpose. He has a deeper mission on hand. It's this miracle that Jesus is going towards because over his day-to-day life is what we are celebrating this weekend. Over the whole Gospel of Luke is this shadow of the cross that's coming that Jesus has very clearly in in sight. And that's where he's going because just over in a few verses later in in Luke 9, 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the Gospel of Luke is set up in this direction so that Jesus is going towards, he has Jerusalem in in view. He is going towards Jerusalem because he very intentionally has come, not just to do miracles, not just to preach in one town, but he has come to preach about the goodness of God and walk towards Jerusalem in such a way that he will continue to show the glory of God on the cross. Because, yes, here in Capernaum, you see there in verse 31, Jesus had to go down. So Capernaum was... 300 feet, or, or I'm sorry, about 700 feet or so below sea level. So Jesus had to go down to teach them. He had to go down to meet them. He had to condescend. So his compassion comes close and goes down to reach them. But his compassion would lead him even further down. His compassion would lead him down to the point of death. Even death 
for what he was not guilty of. Jesus, his compassion not just cost him the comfort of being able to travel without inconveniencing. His compassion did not just cost him the, the inconvenience of being interrupted by demonic opposition during his preaching or the needs of people to heal them or the teaching of God's word. His, com- his compassion did not just uh, inconvenience him or deprive him of rest or personal time or ease of travel. His compassion ultimately and in the end, his compassion would cost him his very life. His compassion would lead him to the cross. It was his compassion that drove him to this mission of not just reaching people and caring for them and carrying their needs, but he would ultimately, by his compassion, walk the very road up to Jerusalem and walk out of Jerusalem on the road up to the cross and die on the cross for us out of his compassion for our needs. Our needs are not just my body's breaking and I've got problems in my life. Those are true realities that stem from the deeper reality, the deeper need, the deeper problem that Jesus saw. And that saw, that, that what he saw was our deepest offenses, our deepest sins, our deepest brokenness against God, our separation from God himself. That was what Jesus had ultimate compassion on. The compassion that we need that breaks us from God, that breaks our relationship with God. Because Easter, this, this reality of Easter, the, the broken body of Jesus Christ dying for our sins on the cross. His life spilled out. His blood shed for us. That then culminating tomorrow morning as we celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God over Satan's sin and death, the victorious resurrection, those things are the culmination. Easter is the culmination of Jesus' compassion, His love, His mercy. This, all these, these moments of compassion, all this mercy that we are invited into, they are made realized in your life tonight because Jesus died and rose again out of His compassion for you so that He does not offer trinkets of compassion. He does not offer compassion that's trivial because you're going to die someday and go to hell. Jesus offers compassion that is victorious over Satan's sin and death. He is victorious in your life. He's victorious for all of your needs because He would have compassion on you with a power that breaks the power of death. He would give you the sort of compassion that would break the death in your life. He would break the, the, the stones that do not seem to move. He would break their power over your life so that you could walk in the freedom of the goodness of God. So you can know God Himself. So you can enjoy enjoy fellowship with God. So you can walk with God. So you can talk with God. So you can enjoy God's goodness to you. His compassion led Him to the cross. That's That's why our church is named the King's Cross Church. King's Cross Church because the King who would have compassion on us, His throne would be a cross. And that cross would be the vehicle of compassion in our lives. This compassion that we need, this compassion that we're invited into, this compassion that he offers to you tonight. Do you know, do you know this compassionate Savior? Do you know him? Do you enjoy his goodness to you? Because he's offering it free. He's offering it, if you're a broken, needy person just like me, he offers it to you. He offers compassion to us because, you see, he, he knows our needs. He doesn't see us as projects. He's not inconvenienced by us. He enters into all the problems of our lives. And that's, that's this uncompromising compassion because his compassion, he would not compromise 
on accomplishing the victory of the cross so that he could have full, lasting, true, powerful compassion in your life. You see, how does this, how does this passage that we're looking at this day in the life of Jesus, how does this relate to Easter? I think, I think in this moment, we see, we see the power of Easter because we see the day-to-day life of Jesus and those moments that get added up day after day to show us who He is. Who He is right now for us. Who He is right now for you. What you're invited into in Jesus. What we are invited into to delight in. His triumph in His daily life. We, we see in this day-to-day life the type of combat, compassion that He gives to us tonight. We're invited to this Jesus. We're invited to enjoy we're invited to ask Jesus for this mercy because of his powerful compassion for us. This powerful compassion that would lead him to the cross, that would lead him through victory over Satan, sin, and death to give us a type of mercy that's going to heal us. I pray that this Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you will receive this mercy because of his powerful compassion for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who Jesus is. We thank you for the powerful compassion that he has on us. And we ask that you continue to be with us, that we would know your mercy to us. God, as we think about ways in which we are in need of your mercy, in need of your compassion, we ask that we would taste of your goodness to us in Jesus because he has accomplished the compassion. He has accomplished the mercy. He has given those things to us. Um, not because of anything that we've done to deserve them, because of who He is. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.